0: this is jaskaran sandhu from the world sick organization of canada alongside the co-host for asking 86 the podcast just read
1: core
0: you know it's been a while it's uh nice to do this end of the year review uh type show because it's been quite a year
1: we've done a lot of really amazing podcasts as well. We've published some of the recordings from our webinars, but we haven't done this sit down and just debrief for a while. We have some really exciting things to share.
0: I was looking back on the year as we're kind of thinking about doing this show. uh, I'm like, man, it's been crazy. And there's a bit of like the recency bias uh, where, you know, our whole world has just been about this farmer's protest and like what we've done in the last month or two, but, 2020 was actually a significant year of growth for the community uh, so i'm kind of excited to just talk about some of this stuff
1: yeah and wso d- had the ability to do so many really cool and amazing things and if you stay tuned jiscard and i are going to share what our favorite things were from the year in review
0: and after that we'll have Balpreet singh uh, share uh, more general news and legal updates from the year some really significant wins uh across the country uh, and then uh, we'll be sharing a, a clip uh, that goes in a little more detail of uh, the different things we achieved over 2020 as an organization, uh, and that will be at the end. 2020 has been uh, a crazy year, to put it and you know, to put it lightly. Uh, but we've seen a lot. We've seen a lot happen uh, as far as the, the organization is concerned, and also the sick community here in Canada and globally. Uh, but as far as WSO goes. Those are record-breaking year for One Billion Rising. The the SICK membership program uh, continued online and has been a great help to young professionals and students across the country. The Afghan SICK file saw movement and updates. Uh, a lot of work in contextualizing uh, what's uh, guidelines on COVID for our gurdwaras and our community level. Uh, we did a large campaign of hashtag They Live Here. Uh, for uh, 1984 Genocide Remembrance, a Bill 21 court case, uh, RCMP Beard Accommodation, which can kind of be attached to COVID work around uh, fighting uh, for rights of those on the front lines, uh, launching of a dust fund program, uh, which has uh, been amazing in ensuring that WC continues to have funds to uh, push forward with its work. Uh, and my favorite uh, topic from the year was the MLI McDonald Laurie Institute uh, report on Khalistan from Terry Maleski, and last but not least, uh, a ton of media relations work uh, for the farmers' protest. Uh, so quite a bit. That's thousand awesome feet in the air, by the way. Uh, but just before, I, I, I want to throw it to you. What what was your favorite? What was your favorite thing from this yeah, year? Favorite relative
1: term. That is such an amazing list of accomplishments. Um, We are going to, at the end of the podcast, share the audio from our year in review. If you want to see the video for that, you can check it out. It's on all of our social media platforms. And what really comes through in this list is that if you are a Canadian sick, you have benefited from the work of the World Psych Organization. And I think that warrants support and some time and some energy. And the best way to say thanks is to become a part of that, the SON program. So that's my pitch. If you're listening, if anything that comes up um, is something that benefited you in any way, please consider helping out. We are a, um, I know we, people try and paint us as this, like, like, fantastic, powerful lobby that's manipulating everyone and doing all of these things. I can't emphasize this enough. We're a scrappy group of people with WhatsApp group chats and spreadsheets. And we are all putting in our time and energy. And we make magic happen with our... How many WhatsApp groups are you in for WSO? I think I'm
0: in... Ooh, yeah so
1: we <laughs> we make magic happen with whatsapp group chats uh, but we can't do it without your support um so my favorite one favorite being a relative term um yes would be the they live here campaign um so this uh huge shout outs to our organizing team including Girpa and Gorpratap. they uh to honor the memory and to observe the genocide from 1984 we try and do um, stuff in june and we try and do stuff in november uh, this year we created a campaign which was hashtag they live here and we asked six to mark their own homes with a candle during the genocide in november of 1984 six were targeted using the census list six homes were targeted And they knew where we lived and it became, if someone knew where you lived, it became a real life and death situation. It became a threat to your life. Um, It was such a beautiful and strong way to honor that moment by choosing to mark our homes and saying, we do live here and we survived and we thrived and we are able to do what cost people their lives. We now have the privilege of saying we are, we exist. Um, so everyone put candles in front of their um, homes and they took pictures and they shared them on social media with the hashtag they live here and the engagement on the various platforms hit up to 4 million. And that is incredible. That's more than the the initial campaign uh, that we named this podcast for Ask Canadian Six. Uh, this is actually this was a bigger campaign than that. And it attracted enough attention that even I think we might have even stirred some feathers with the government of India. And that's always a that's always a marker of success as well. So four million hits and the government of India noticed.
0: Yeah, I think that's so that's so crazy. And, it, and just to be mindful that that number is an estimate, uh, usually a conservative one, and it doesn't capture all the engagement or the spillover that was caused because of it. Um, and it just goes to show, like, you know, a lot of people will say, hey, well, you know, social media and conversations online, you know, how much of a real impact it has. There's four million people that engage this topic um, or saw it come across their feed uh, and thought about it uh, where they may not have uh, beforehand. Uh, and it's about exposure. It's about getting our story out there. And social media is one of those rare platforms that we have access to where there's no gatekeepers. Now, you, know, you can debate that because there's a lot of censorship happening, and that's been another story of 2020, of uh, increased censorship or uh, um, hijacking of, of posts uh, or, sorry, hashtags involved with the sick community uh, and, a, and a lot of engagement with social media platforms to try to correct that and fix that over time. And it's, and it's an ongoing, ongoing issue. But generally speaking, there's no gatekeepers on social media. So we're allowed to share our story uh, quite raw uh, and we're allowed to do it in a, in a truthful and honest way uh, Which is which is amazing when you see the kind of reach we got and you look at the data points uh, Across the board. And we're talking tens of thousands up to a hundred thousand plus uh, Shares and likes and uh, when you look at the folks uh, that were sharing this a lot of them were in positions of power the decision-makers it was elected officials it was other organizations uh, and it and it does a lot in in getting our story across, uh, and also normalizing the conversation around this. Because I remember when I was growing up, just because I, I don't know what your experience is, because I, I think you grew up in a much more authentic family than I did. Um, but like I grew up in a household where you never talked about any of this.
1: I I mean I agree completely. I mean, it
0: that, wasn't normal.
1: No, and four million people to have the attention, even if it was for a few seconds, of four million people. Um, this is this to observe this moment of genocide has been a fight for over 35 years and it would have been unimaginable and so validating to know that for a moment in their day, 4 million people noticed and remembered. And because the messaging came from the WSO, we used words like genocide, which um, the Indian government has finally admitted uh, in a court case. Due to the groundbreaking work of HS Fulca, um, that it was a genocide, and we um, and we had Canadian politicians who used the word genocide and to to frame them as pogroms instead of riots and to use the right language and to talk about what actually happened has and and to get the attention of four million people has been a project of thirty five years and it offers a small amount of healing
0: yeah and I, and I think this uh, the hashtag they live here uh campaign um came in a line of other very successful hashtag campaigns that were either organic or, or driven by other organizations as well like free juggy now um never forget 1984 all, all these uh trended at one point or another over 2020. i don't recall ever seeing that before like that consistently uh over days And we saw it in countries around the world, primarily driven by, I guess, the U.S., U.K. and Canada. Um, I think that's a testament to also the younger kind of millennial generation and down. um, Getting more vocal or getting older, uh, having access to platforms, being more confident about uh, speaking on these issues uh, and and starting to um, put that out into the world you're seeing this over and over again and i think it bodes well for kind of that community mobilization and activism uh and making uh, the sick world smaller uh, and, and ensuring that we can kind of connect with one another on platforms like you know twitter or instagram or, or
2: whatever it it's is it's that
1: combination uh, of like it, having the knowledge of our elders and all the hard work they put in and and putting it on platforms that we have access to and also shout outs to my mom who is on Instagram as well. So, uh, the older generation is also a part of this. Uh, but what was your, that was my favorite part of 2020. What was yours? Um,
0: I got a huge kick out of the McDonald Laurier Institute and Terry Molestri's report, uh, essentially saying, um, on a project well, I'm literally, Stone. I'm shaking
1: my head over here. Cause you got a kick out of it and I got a headache. So yeah, please continue. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Look, I do have a good fight, um, as much as the next person. So when that report came out, uh, it was, it was quite something. I, I, I think what was so shocking about it was how predictable it was mm. and, and how like holistically bad it was. Cause not only the report was terrible, Um, and there's a, there's a really stellar academic response in just record. Maybe I'll let you talk about that in a bit. Um, there, like the report itself was troubling and kind of the conclusion it jumped to without a lack of citations or evidence. Um, the fact that MLI tries to build itself as a legitimate think tank uh, and the credibility MLI took a serious hit on. And it did take a serious, I got those folks in the conservative party who were like, we lost all respects for the MLI. We we didn't even know like this helped, like, this how poorly they did this. How are they doing other stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was the, uh, the intro to the report, uh, written by, um uh, show And, um, there was, I think mm-hmm. was the other writer. I think it was the two of them. Um, I'm.
1: I mean, to say it, that they say that they wrote the introduction is generous. They copied it from another thing they wrote. They copy pasted the introduction,
0: so, but the introduction made this claim that, oh, you know, six, um you know, every year they, there's a predictable drum roll of genocide commemoration. and like it's so heartless
1: really horrible. Um,
0: but they 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 really blame themselves, though. And I think they really exposed themselves, and I, they really didn't expect the uh, response that it received. Um, obviously, beginning from you know the the usual suspects the uh, and folks kind of fighting with Terry Moleski and calling this out for the bs it is um, but eventually bringing the ire of academics,
1: yeah. And I think like, uh, just to take a step back, um, so the McDonald Laurier Institute is a conservative think tank in Canada, which with proven connections to India, like they're on their own website, all of the connections they're trying to build. Mm -hmm. um, And they published this report this year saying that Khalistan is a project of Pakistan and is an example of extremism, which is a threat to the Canadian government. I don't know if you can follow along with all of that. Um, and if you it, like, if you were worried that there were no more celebrity Twitter feuds, if you were getting bored, please check out um, the Twitter feuds between Aponé Diskanzing and discredited former CBC journalist Terry Malowski. Because he um just hates disgarn so much. Jasgarin was quoted one of Jasgarn's tweets made it into this report as part of the Yeah, was a crazy
0: tweet. Like I, and that was the other thing. Why would you include that tweet? It, it, in that tweet uh, and it, I'm like, There's a million other tweets where I say, you know, incredibly like stupid things that you could have used. Um, but they they use one where I say, you know, it, and I or responded to Terry Molesky in another debate that happened months earlier. You keep saying that this, like, like the actual uh, concept of Khalistan is super fringe and no one talks about it. Uh, but here's a, a quote from the Jitadar of the Calta, literally talking about Khalistan and saying, if if we were to get it, we would take it. And that was uh, earlier this year. Uh, it's not a fringe concept. This is such a normal thing to talk about in the community. And we're allowed to have that conversation in the community. And by the way, we're allowed to have debates about yeah. it. Uh, and Terry, bless you. are out to lunch on this topic. Absolutely. Like, you you think the community has zero agency? That this is only like Pakistan or like a a, a few like randoms at at the fringes of the Sikh community uh, trying to hijack the conversation. Like, that's not true. It was, yeah. um, it was a
1: garbage. So exactly yeah. so there was yeah. there were issues with um, plagiarism, like copying from themselves, copyright infringement for the image. There were no academic sources, and and WSO did respond very strongly. Uh, One of the really cool things was separate from WSO, uh, there was this unprecedented academic response, um, which I did sign on to. um, And there was, it was so cool and so great to see. um, uh, There's a, there was like a Lord of the Rings metaphor on the third day when you look and like everyone's going to show up. It took a couple of days, but all of, um, I think it's over. uh, You can look at the uh, website, sixscholarsresponse.com. And over 50 academics who engage with the Sikh community from Ivy League institutions from all over the world. So from uh, we had folks from Yale and Harvard and Oxford, UBC, UFT, people who don't know each other, people who know each other and don't work with each other, who fundamentally disagree on academics and Sikhi, all came together and signed a uh, letter asking MLI to remove the report and and just saying that it was it was garbage and that was I I, I don't use the word the term unprecedented lightly but in my history studying Saki and being an academic I've never seen anything like that it was uh, validating of course the group of academics was then uh, accused of being Pakistani agents themselves. <laughs> Which I think if that were true, if the Pakistan government had fake six planted in the in tenured positions as head of six studies chairs in Harvard and Yale and Oxford and UBC, I would be really impressed. Um, at the fact that they had done it and at the fact that they had done it without anyone knowing that it was all Pakistani in- infiltration I think the more likely explanation is that McDonald laurier Institute was wrong they lied they've sold out to India and they are one of the many established channels of pushing an Indian government narrative into the Canadian world political world
0: yeah it's uh, it's it's actually pretty crazy um uh- because that was so unprecedented, the academic yeah. response letter. Like, that's never happened before. We have that many people sign on to something. Um, and, and it was earth shattering. Like, it completely changed the narrative. Um, and it, it was so monumental that uh, you had folks from every corner of like the sick world looking at this in awe. And uh, I, I hope it acts almost as a precedent uh, for. Uh, future uh, responses to things that either from think tanks or from government or from wherever, that these academics can now work together on an ongoing basis uh, to act as a bulwark of sorts over disinformation, quite frankly. Uh, Now, and that instigated a lot of response, too. And I I did that uh, interview on Canada Land um, where we kind of jumped into depth on what this issue meant and and what this encompassed. uh, And then for folks uh, that are not as aware of the media landscape in Canada, Canada land is the premier media critique platform. Uh, watch every single um, major mainstream media uh, outlet watches and follows and listens to. Like, editorial boards listen to these guys uh, for insights on media critique. So like the access we got to again, share our story um, in a, a way uh, where it, what it's not censored uh, was powerful that, that came out of this. And then the academic letter itself, again, is it, it's something that's now in historical records. That's always going to be there, uh, and, and it's such an important piece of precedent to always link back to and tag in. Uh, Terry valeski totally, um, uh, totally compromised uh, his legacy, totally tarnished. The only airtime he got um, was from far right, uh, what we now term as Goldie media, <laughs> <laughs> but like. Far right, far right compromised media in India, yeah. um, and if you like watch this debate with folks on uh, primarily Twitter as it was happening, and this was like a running fight for I think over a week or two. Every day something else was coming out to uh, delegitimize Terry Um uh, no one was engaging with his stuff. Like he's been totally isolated and left alone. Even MLI folks weren't going to like Terry Mosky's stuff. Yeah. And I think like uh, the, the
1: one of the the best things that came out of this was the like serbata pa spirit. Um, I just I remember folks saying Terry Mosky has tried to hurt us uh, it, for so long. He's just been trying and trying and trying, and we wish him well. Um, so our das for Terry is that he retire, he find happiness in life, that he have uh, pets or grandchildren, and just things that make him happy and take his energy away from hurting people. Um, and and in that, in that vein of Sarbata Pala and Chardika, I think we should, uh, our last favorite thing for 2020 is, um, I think we both agreed on this, was the WSO response to The farmers' movement and the solidarity with the farmer movement in Punjab. Do you want to do like a thirty seconds on what's going on, and then we can go into what WSO did to help?
0: Yeah. Look, if you're living under a rock and you have no idea what's going on, I don't know what to tell you. There's nothing I can share with you now that won't like our listenership. I I I tend to believe is is actually incredibly informed. But we'll explain it from the from the top. A bunch of bills that touch upon uh, farming, agricultural reform. Uh, really puts forward corporate interests before anyone else is, does away with legal recourse uh, and remedies for farmers, gets rid of MSP, which is minimum standard pricing, which kind of is a financial guarantee of sorts on crops. Um, there's a whole host of other issues, uh, including the fact that this was brought on in a very undemocratic way, bypassed a lot of parliamentary procedure uh, to make it happen, and is a- another example of many of how the BJP government under Modi has become increasingly more autocratic, even by India standards. Uh, that's essentially what's being protested. Now, it originally started with a bunch of protests in Punjab, for the most part. There's protests elsewhere. Like, and I also want to make something clear: this is not necessarily just six or Punjabis protesting, but it's pretty obvious that it's Punjabis and Sikhs leading it. Uh, so, you have a bunch happening in Punjab. Eventually, the decision is made to march all the way to Delhi. Uh, and like that Sikh spirit, uh, you know, this, that revolutionary spirit within Sikhi has been driving this thing from the beginning. Uh, it's again, it's no coincidence that the face of these protests has typically been uh, folks from Punjabi, It's been Sikhs. Uh, they march to Delhi. On the march, there, uh, the government tries over and over again to stop them, from bulldozing highways to water cannons and tear gas. Uh, that march galvanized folks in a way i have never seen like we're talking about an unprecedented year like we're talking about unprecedented year we've had galvanized like online activity and like hashtag trending we've had galvanized responses from academics and now we have like a, a galvanized response from like every aspect of the Sikh community uh, in the punjabi community and this is just a, a, another, like, really historic, unprecedented moment that's been brought by twenty. I asked
1: my dad, if, uh, I does, think this, this does this feel familiar? Like, does this feel like what you saw um, leading up to 84 or after 84? And he said, no, we did not see it in, in this numbers. We didn't have access to the stories the way we do now. It This is unprecedented.
0: Yeah, and I think that's such a critical piece to this. Again, like, going back to that social media conversation, we're getting on-the-ground coverage from these protests, uh, unfiltered and uncensored. Um, and we're getting from multiple sources. And uh, you know, I guess the most prolific, uh, I know that a lot of folks here in the diaspora are following, is uh, uh at Banya, P-U-N-Y-A-A-B, uh Sandeep Singh, who's been really good at just, just capturing raw footage and just explaining as a matter of fact what's happening uh, without very little editorializing. So you can kind of just grasp it uh, without any really sort of filter. We never had that. Everything we had in the past was state controlled. And and you talk to a lot of uh, yeah elders in our in our families that this is totally unprecedented even in their eyes. So you have this huge historic moment. um, You have this fear of like increasing violence uh, against these people. Uh, You have other states now starting to march and join as well from UP, Rajasthan, Haryana, and other states. Uh, So the diaspora, and this is again not specific to Canada, uh, from across the world, start protesting in mass spontaneous, organically, it feels like every day there's a new protest happening uh, in front of Indian concerts across the world. Again, totally unprecedented, never seen anything like this. And it's every aspect of of the Punjabi Sikh community. And people I never thought in a million years would be, you know, quote-unquote Panthik, are now uh, sharing like this immense pride in not just the farm issue, but like Sikh identity. that I've never seen before. And I, I think and like, this is kind of like this momentous right. moment so, in history that we're witnessing. So
1: like we, um, and like, we've seen a lot of movements in, in 2020 because it's just been that year where everyone is done with everything and is trying to move on. But this movement has um, been such an honor to witness because people are... Um, I have seen um, old people. I have seen a girl who's in grade six who is studying on the front lines and then she goes and help make food with her mom. I have seen foot massage stations, pizza being People bringing six months worth of food, saying we're not leaving, people who are doing shifts. So they send seven people at a time for four days each. um, So someone is back able to work the land. And it's just been such an honor to watch. And because of that, we did there and solidarity protests in every major city where Sikhs exist in the diaspora. Um,
0: Not even major cities. Um, I actually. Uh, we did an interview with CBC and it was CBC Whitehorse oh nice like,
1: That's amazing. from like
0: you know all the, the way up the
1: the the part that we at WSO uh, well we were part of helping to initially um, lobby Canadian politicians to get their attention on the issue, which was successful. We had the prime minister um, share his support. We had um, members of parliament from every major party share their support um, because people like you uh, asked them to, to share some stuff. And then we had the government of India cry what they always do, which was extremism. Terrorism, Khalistani activism, uh, which we've if we haven't said it enough, asking for Khalistan is not illegal, it is not synonymous with terrorism. Um, sikh demands and Punjabi demands are so intertwined culturally that we don't have a way to be political in Punjab without including Sikhi. So there are Jakade on the front lines because there's no cultural equivalent of a battle cry when you're going on a protest so these things are inextricably linked um but yeah so we had these solidarity protests i know the one in toronto the indian consulate it was a saturday um and people drove by in cars and i my guess if i had to guess i think the people at the consulate were probably sitting at home with the heat on dying their daris because that's what they do on saturdays and Uh, They weren't threatened at all by people driving by their workplace on a Saturday, and they immediately cried, Um, extremism and the Canadian government. And I also want to point out um, shout outs to my newest nephew who at that point was two weeks old and his parents put him in the car and bundled him up and it was his first protest and he drove by the Mm consulate. So at two weeks old, this Canadian citizen was called a terrorist. And I think this is a rite of passage for sick children. How old are you before Mm -hmm. um, Canada calls you a terrorist? So congratulations to this two week old for being called a terrorist for the first time. Uh, And the Canadian Indian media repeated this claim. What do you make of that?
0: Well, yeah, so uh, there was a, a statement put out by the uh, Indian government uh, essentially saying uh, extre- a quote unquote extremist activities are happening in front of the consulate. Uh, and then uh, the CBC uh, on a show that was anchored by Natasha. Uh, and uh, included uh, a journalist that's uh, based at a new Delhi in uh, uh, an Indian bureau that they're setting up, uh, parrot that claim uh, without any critique. Because the facts are uh, there actually was no extremist activity. There was no reports with police, there's nothing the police were investigating. Uh, it was totally empty uh, and false disinformation from the Indian government. That we've oh, seen from them over and over. Familiar, again. Familiar, the name. Uh, who? Asha Fata. It's, it's Tarek Fata's daughter.
1: Oh, that's why.
0: Yeah, and so she anchors uh, one of the news segments on CBC. Um, so th- there was an immediate outlash uh, on that, right? Because journalistic practice, especially under the CBC, states um, that like, you're not supposed to do that. Like, you can't just echo. Uh, and pair it a line, especially one of extremism against a marginalized community um, without, you know, any type of challenge or contradiction uh, or a seeking of proof. And so this was shared on national TV live. Natasha Fatoff tweets it out, uh, the segment. Uh, People start responding immediately. And the WSO uh, puts out a call that folks need to email the CBC abudsman uh, to have this uh, rectified. Uh, Natasha Fatala pretty quickly, actually. I was actually surprised. Uh, she was she pretty quickly deleted that tweet, uh, and uh, the abudsman, I know has been uh, swapped with uh, complaints because uh, people have been sharing, you know, screenshots and and emails forwarding them around uh, so that others can see what kind of response they're getting from the Um uh, But like that's an example of how you got to keep the media on check. Nice. Now, having said that. Paul, my only real deep critique of any coverage on this, it, like, media has been actually pretty good in spending a lot of time and resources covering this story. I know at the WSO, we, uh, especially at the onset of the farmers' protests, uh, you know, at this point, a couple of weeks ago, uh, this was being recorded right now in mid December. Um, so I'll say early December, you know, the first week um, where we pretty aggressively. Uh, started pitching stories to media outlets um, and started pitching um, ideas uh, for coverage, uh, assisting media with uh, coverage of protests or just a story in general. Introducing media to uh, decent uh, voices on the issue, like informed voices beyond just the WSO. You know, we're not, we don't, we try really hard not to gatekeep the community and and provide open access to anyone that we think can be helpful. We make introductions to media, no questions asked. Um, And a lot of this has been happening over the last few weeks. uh, And and I think that's had uh, an immense impact in the way the story is being shared in Canada and then also acting as a precedent uh, for other communities in the diaspora on uh, either pitching stories or getting their politicians to speak out, whether that's the U.S. or the U.K. And I I think this has been like a real monumental task and it's a small thing we're doing. Uh, for those on the front lines actually risking their lives every day uh, but any way that we can help even if it's just getting more international scrutiny on india so that they're not uh they don't feel like they have a free hand in abusing or terrorizing um you know farmers or citizens um it's a uh, time uh, worth uh time spent well and and something that we're we're happy to be part of
1: this is the thing with everything that wso does we use protected legal pathways available to us through being Canadian citizens driving by the consulate on a saturday to share your frustration is being a good citizen it is part of being like the range of ways that you can be canadian and it's these are and and vying for your voice to tell your story and accessing media platforms these are all things that are available to us to frame them as extremism, to bring out that boogeyman every time is just a really easy way to discredit what is a, a very real um, protest and dissent. And they, if you wanna look at, again, stick around till the end of the podcast, to hear our, the audio from our year in review or watch it on any of our social media platforms. Um, we have done so many cool things. And if you want to volunteer in any of these efforts, or if you want to support any of them, uh, reach out through
3: any of those social media platforms. Welcome Balpreet Singh back to the podcast. I know it's been a while since you've had a chance to do a legal update. That does not mean that you haven't been busy. You've been doing a lot and some of the things we've shared along the way um, on our social media so make sure you check out those posts but what are some of the big things uh, year in review 2020 that happened legally?
4: So everyone. Um, I'm going to go over some of our big stories and some of our lesser known stories so if i had to sort of pick the big story this year it was the rcmp accommodation one so in uh, march uh, rcmp officers sick rcmp officers were taken off the front lines and put on desk duty uh, because of covid uh, the rcmp said that they couldn't be fitted with n95 masks because of because of their beards and so they were indefinitely put on desk duty Uh, They reached out to us and we got in touch with the RCMP to sort of say that this isn't acceptable and there are solutions available. And other police forces had, in fact, found those solutions fairly quickly. Uh, The issue here was that the N95 mask isn't required on a daily basis. It's only in in an emergency sort of situation. Uh, Even for medical professionals, it's only needed for a very small number of medical procedures like intubation or something. A regular medical facial covering is more than sufficient. We worked on this for six months, uh, going back and forth, trying to get through uh, to the RCMP. And uh, eventually we sort of just hit a brick wall and they weren't willing to budge, even though, like I said, everyone else had figured it out. So the last sort of resort and and the RCMP officers weren't entirely, uh, they didn't want to go this route and we didn't want to go this route, but when nothing else works, then you do what you have to do. We took it to the media and it blew up pretty big. Uh, it was all over the national media, and even the prime minister c- commented that this was unacceptable and it was systemic racism. Uh, and it got resolved within days after that. So, uh, happily, uh, I can report that the Sikh RCMP officers are back uh, on the front lines um, and doing their jobs. Uh, so that was that was the big one. Uh, and then there's a bunch of, I guess, smaller stories. Not necessarily small, but. Uh, stories that are less known. Uh, I can give you a couple of examples of those as well. So there's a sick, he goes for a job interview at a window factory. He's supposed to be a salesperson. Uh, the The person that greets him is uh, n- not a sick, obviously, uh, and he looks at him and he goes, "You're the guy that applied?" And he goes, "Yeah, and he goes, Uh, Well, I hire six, but none of them look like you. And this really won't work for the people that we're trying to sell to. So we're done. So uh, he goes, he he replied that this is racism. This is unacceptable discrimination. And the guy just goes, look, I have a business to run and I can't do anything. Um, In situations like that, I don't even give them a chance. Uh, So we've registered a case. We've uh, applied at the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario. And that'll take its uh, legal course. Obviously, it's a slam dunk. Another interesting one, um, a Mississauga, Mississauga is like uh, just south of Brampton, but a lot of Sikhs live here. Uh, a Mississauga factory sent uh, a Sikh uh, worker home because he was wearing a karpan. They, they saw it on like the second or third day he was working there. He asked the employment agency that sent him and they said, oh, we didn't know you wear a karpan." Yeah, yeah, the factory actually told us not to send people that wear karpans. So we contacted the factory, we contacted the employment agency. Employment agencies, uh, nice guys, they're Pakistani. Uh, so they understood the problem. It's just that when you're an employment agency, you have to work with your uh, big contractors. You have to big w- work with the big sites like this factory. So they couldn't get the factory to actually address the issue. So once again, we have put that forward at the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario. Um, there's other stuff that I can talk about as well, for example, uh, at the Hamilton Ports, this is a case that I've been working on for a long time, um, a, a sick there was told that he would not be able to exit his truck without wearing a hard hat, and there was a really unfortunate case from Quebec that uh, supported that premise, saying that no, if you're at a, a port site, you have to wear a hard hat and there's no chance of accommodation. And I think I might have talked about this one in some past podcasts. While he was sitting in his cabin uh, and waiting for the situation to be resolved, he took his camera out and he took a bunch of pictures of people walking around without hard hats, including the lady that told him he couldn't leave his cabin without a hard hat. (laughs) So uh, when we actually put this stuff forward, uh, at first they were saying, no, no, there's no chance of accommodation, too too dangerous, too dangerous. And then they accommodated. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to say uh, too much about who this, who this site, what this site was, or who the employer was. Uh, but it's fine. They they've decided to accommodate, and the situation got resolved.
3: Are those sites private? Is that like a, someone runs it themselves?
4: Uh, this is like a private corporation that has like sites, uh, like a, okay. a, a site on the port. So it's federally mm-hmm. regulated, but it's a private sort of site. Got it. And then there's. Just stuff, other stuff that we work on here, like ongoing work on the censorship of sick voices uh, on social media platforms. So we've been in touch with Facebook, Instagram, trying to figure out what's happening and what Facebook's able to or willing to do. Um, That's an ongoing file. Um, And of course, like advocacy on behalf of the Afghan 6 we've talked about this one before, I know, but uh, it's something that uh, we continue to work on and we're watching the situation. The vast majority of them have now arrived uh, in Delhi. The ones that uh, don't want to leave are pretty much the only ones that uh, are left now in Afghanistan. We're talking less than 200 people left, but the rest of them have now arrived and are living mainly in Delhi. um, Obviously, the borders are still closed, but this is something that we continue to work on, and our end goal is to bring them to Canada.
3: That's a lot for one year, and I'm continuously astounded by how many employers and sites in Canada don't know that you can't ask someone to not have a Dari or to not have a Karban and that these things are, we have every right to have them in all of those spaces. Um, what is it that you're most hopeful about? Cause a year after year like, we do the year in review and we, there's an amazing video as well that all the things we've done. Um, and we come across all of these things and then we react to them. Um, is there something that you're hopeful about going into 2021? Or maybe a project you you continue to work on or just something that you want to share? Um,
4: I guess something that I want to work on is the international students file. So once again, I don't want to sound like uh, I'm on repeat here, but uh, over 100,006 have arrived in Canada and they're all between the age of 18 to 25. Uh, they need a lot of supports. Like one, one story that you might have caught is the CDI college uh, story. So, this was an international student, uh, Prabhjot Singh, who's sitting in a class, and one of his fellow students, uh, this is a much older guy, he's from India, he goes, You remember how he slaughtered you in 1984? Did you forget how he slaughtered you? Uh, and the teacher didn't know how to react. Like, the teacher should have stopped it, but the the Indian student repeated this three or four times in front of all the other students. Uh, so this is obviously not acceptable. And we contacted the college to let them know that what, first of all, the, the 1984 genocide was. Um, but the lady from the college called Prabhjot back and told him, well, it was only a historical fact that was being repeated, so, you know, it's not a big deal. Um, No action was taken against that student. He was allowed to attend further classes. Unbelievable. Um,
3: And to be clear, um, like, denial of genocide counts as harassment, and you can, yeah. I I was very upset about the situation, but anyways, continue.
4: Yeah, I mean, did you forget how we slaughtered you? Like, how we slaughtered you? That's, to me, that's a threat. Uh, Anyways, uh, they finished And, like,
3: saying something like that, even if it is a fact that we were slaughtered, something repeating facts that our harassment and our violence are not okay.
4: So the college continues their investigation or the claim they did and then they got back to Brabjot saying well it was just a culturally insensitive and uh, no no further action really is required so and there was no threat to you directly. So once again when nothing else works and we tried really tried to get through to these uh, folks to explain why this is significant we took it to the media, and then CDI College announced that the staff person that had investigated uh, was was suspended and cultural uh, sensitivity training is required. Interesting story here again. They have never responded to anything I've sent them. Like, even afterwards, I, I followed up with an email saying, uh, you know, we appreciate that you you are bringing in cultural, cultural sensitivity training, and if there's something we can work with on... Uh, with you on this blah 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 not so much as an acknowledgement so this was kind of like we've shamed them into doing something but cdi college very bad behavior and uh very disappointing so uh yeah i i mean what i want what i where i started with this was that international students require supports and if there's something that we as wso want to do uh, for these folks is to make sure colleges know uh, what best practices are, students know their rights, and and just work on uh, making them feel at home here in Canada. And, and I think well, that's yeah. what we want to work on.
3: 100%. I think if there are folks that have been born here and are still... How many people went to that factory with their bonds and were turned around and sent back? And the agency that was sending people, they accepted this as a good practice. Um, Folks that are born here and are operating here and are running businesses here may not be doing what is best and we definitely have a lot of concern and have a lot of regard for the international students that are coming here that we come to learn time and time again don't know that no one's allowed to talk to them that way, no one's allowed to ask them to cut their dirty, nobody's allowed to ask them to take off their coupon. Um, so it's really important that they know, and we can definitely expect that colleges should know. That's a completely reasonable ask and expectation. Give so, yeah, you another example.
4: University of Ottawa, my alma mater. Um, a sick medical student uh, wrote in about the N95 mask, and and he was told in no uncertain terms, no accommodation. You'll have to shave, and if you need spiritual support and guidance, you can talk to our spiritual counselor about this.
3: Absolutely
4: ridiculous! <laughs> like
3: that's horrible. Like,
4: like you have to shave, and if you need the support to, you know, get through this hard time, you can talk to our counselor. Like, are you yeah. are you insane? Like, have you not seen any oh. sick doctors ever before? Um, so, anyway, stuff like this continues. And, and CDI College is like you know one of these private small colleges. But the University of Ottawa, they should really know better. So anyways, we're working it, uh, working it through with them as well. So lots of these small cases that not are, aren't big enough to bring necessarily to the media or even sometimes announce on our social media, but we work on on a daily
3: basis. And if anyone is listening and if you know of someone who might be in a situation where proper PPE is not being procured for them or they are being asked to do something like take off their shave, their daddy, and then talk to someone about their hurt feelings, please get in touch with us. Uh, you can Google World Tech Organization. I mean, you found this podcast, so you're tech savvy. Uh, but yeah, we are always here to help you. Thank you so much for coming in and talking to us about all of the things, some of the things you've done in 20, 2020. I know there's a lot more and we look forward to having you back on in the new year. <laughs>
2: Khalsa? 2020 has been an unprecedented year for us all the way we see the world and choose to engage with one another will never be the same and yet throughout all this change the world sick organization of canada has strived to advocate on all issues that impact the lives of Sikhs. let let's have a look back and see what took place this year
5: this year will be remembered by the coronavirus pandemic this health crisis has changed the world forever Since March, WSO has actively supported sick healthcare workers who required workplace accommodations for PPE. We supported RCMP officers, and after more than six months of behind-the-scenes advocacy, we eventually brought the issue into the public domain, and our sick officers were finally allowed to serve on the front lines again. We have also spent this year supporting Gurdwaras in implementing local restrictions, alternative langar methods, and contact tracing. We developed timely and tailored guidance for international students and develop social media campaigns to highlight and celebrate the contributions of the Sikh community across frontlines and essential services. And finally, we have continuously advocated to draw attention and ensure balanced media coverage on the disproportionate impact this disease has on our community and what we need our governments to do to promote our health and well-being. As a highly visible community, the lived experiences of Sikhs has included facing racism in our own context. We especially recognize the trauma that our Black and Indigenous sisters and brothers have had to endure. Our WSO board undertook vital training to build our own understanding of anti-Black racism. We also hosted a webinar to have a candid dialogue with six who have faced anti-Black racism firsthand. The most blanded systematic racism that we continue to face as Sikhs in Canada is in the form of Bill 21. To our dismay, this bill passed into law and was put into effect in the province of Quebec in 2019. Bill 21 prevents judges, police officers, teachers and public servants from wearing articles of faith such as the star while at work. WSO has joined the legal challenge and the fight is currently in the Quebec Superior Court with almost certainty that it will go to the Supreme Court of Canada. Choosing between faith and employment are choices we should never have to make.
0: We are also monitoring and raising awareness on the very serious and growing concerns around foreign interference in Canada and the negative impact for sex. India has ratcheted up attempts to silence Sikh voices on social media and to target Sikhs who advocate on human rights and political issues. In June and November, social media posts deemed critical of India or supportive of Khalistan have been censored, and many young Sikhs have been detained and interrogated. Some young Sikhs have been charged with offences related to support for Khalistan under the draconian UAPA law. WSO social media contact on Jaswant Sinkara and the June 1984 attack on the Shri Dvarasab was also flagged by Indian authorities as being in violation of Indian laws. The WSO forcefully spoke out against these attempts to censor Sikh voices and has ongoing discussions with social media platforms. We prepared a report entitled Enforcing Silence, India's War on Sikh Social Media. Our efforts on this front are ongoing. One of the most heartbreaking tragedies felt by six
2: worldwide was the terror attack in Kabul, Afghanistan. Twenty-five lives were lost when terrorists entered the Gordora and held the Sangat hostage. Among those deceased was four-year-old Danya Kaur. The WSO has been lobbying on behalf of the Afghan six since 2016, and we continue to lead these advocacy efforts in 2020. We have supported the Namit Singh Polar Foundation in the extraction and private sponsorship of the approximate 62 individuals who are now in Canada. We urge our community to continue to support us until all families who are currently displaced in India are brought safely to Canada.
5: While advancing these issues, we still manage to deliver our ongoing programming this year. And that includes the Sikh Youth Leadership Institute, Sikh Mentorship Program, Sikh Family Helpline and One Billion Lives in. Along with that, WSO also analyzed elected officials working on and speaking up on sick issues. Lastly, we have countless workplace and school accommodation issues regarding our Panjka cars that come up on a weekly basis.
4: To ensure we can continue to sustain and grow such programming, this year we launched the This Month program. We hope you can be one of our 500 new donors who can commit to $500 a year
2: or more, choosing either annual recurring donations or through monthly installments.
1: If you've appreciated our advocacy and legal efforts, and you've felt well represented by our Canada-wide team of volunteers, regional and national board members, we ask that you strongly consider adding WSO as one of the organizations you contribute your hard-earned dollars to.
2: We don't make this ask lightly. We know that many families have faced economic uncertainty this year. We promise you that every dollar donated to WSO will go towards helping secure a brighter future for SICKs across Canada. Please go to worldsick.org backslash this program to sign up and become an annual or monthly donor. We look forward to continuing our legal advocacy and social justice efforts in 2021. With the spirit of Chardikala and the principles of Sarbat Tapala to guide our efforts as a voice for Sikhs in Canada, why gurjipa Khalsa, why